My uh, first big activity here as the pastor last year was VBS, and I was just impressed at how well of a, how well of a job this church did putting that on. And I promise you, this year it's going to be taken up a notch. And so uh, you'll want to be involved in any way possible. Matthew 16, let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Matthew chapter 16, we're going to read from verse 13 down through verse number 20. We'll read them responsively as we do every week. I'll be reading the odd verses alone. We'll read the even verses together. The Bible says, beginning there in verse 13, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Verse 20 together. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. This morning we're going to look at this topic, lifting up the church of Christ. Let's pray. God, I pray that uh, today you'd help us as we remember uh, with our country's birthday uh, coming up Tuesday, Lord, just how this has been a country for centuries that has provided us the freedom to have church. And God, we're free to assemble without fear of militia kicking in a door and arresting us or uh, holding us at gunpoint. Lord, how thankful we are that this country has stood for religious freedom for so many years. And Lord, we pray that that would continue. God, I pray that we wouldn't get used to that and let that grow old and cold. But Lord, that we would be consistently reminded of that truth and Lord, that we would take every advantage of that. I think of, Lord, some countries today where there are people meeting and gathering for church and doing so against the law of the government. They're doing so at fear of losing their life or at least being jailed. And God, I thank you that they're committed to that level. I pray we would be just as equally committed. Lord, today as we consider this topic of lifting up your institution, the church, may we be reminded just how important it is to be in our lives. In Jesus' name we ask all these things. Amen. You can be seated. All year long we've been considering our theme for 2017. Lift him up. Lift him up. Um, twice in the book of John we see this concept. John chapter 3 and verse 14 is the first time we find it. John says here, rather Jesus says here to John, uh, to Nicodemus, who is seeking him for salvation. Jesus says to Nicodemus, he says, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. What was Jesus saying here? He was saying that it, just as important as it was for Moses to hold up that pole with that serpent on it for the people to be saved from their snake bites, the death of those snake bites, the Son of Man, God's Son, must be lifted up on a tree the, uh, the, to, in order for mankind to be saved from the snake bite of sin. What did Jesus do on the cross? He became our sin. And when we look up at the cross and we acknowledge Jesus Christ who became our sacrifice for us, what happens? What happens? We allow ourselves, we allow ourselves to be saved because of what He did for us on the cross. Jesus expounded on this thought a few chapters later. John chapter 12 and verse 32. Jesus makes a very similar statement to the one in John 3 about being lifted up. But he even takes it a step further. He says, and I... It, in fact, turn over there with me if you would. John chapter 12 and verse 32. I want to say this verse together as a church. And I would encourage you, if you haven't memorized this verse yet this year, this is our theme verse for the year. I would encourage you... It's a short verse. I would encourage you... To memorize it. When you find your way there, uh, would you, would you read that out loud with me? Ready? John 12, 32. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Again, ready one more time. Some of you just finding your way there. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. Here Jesus gives us a promise. If he's lifted up from the earth, as he was on the cross, 
He'll draw all men unto Him. Now, as we've discussed, some people will reject the draw. Some people will refuse the call, if you will. They're drawn to Him, but they will reject Him. Now, Jesus was lifted up from the earth uh, around 2,000 years ago. You know, the truth is, most of the world's population doesn't even know who Jesus is. You go over to the 1040 window, the name Jesus to them is a foreign concept. The truth is, even here in the U.S. of A., where Jesus is a known person, and people use His name all the time, usually not in a good way, but they use His name all the time, most people don't really know why it was He was lifted up. And if we can help portray in people's minds through both our lifestyle and our words uh, who Jesus is and articulate why He was lifted up, what we do is we allow people to be drawn unto Him. And so Christ has commanded us that we are to lift Him up. We are to make a big deal of Jesus. We've attempted to do that this year at White Oak Baptist Church. We've attempted to make a big deal out of Jesus. And we've looked at, on Sunday mornings, we've looked at several different topics with this idea of lifting up Christ. Uh, uh, we began uh, looking at, on January 8th, I preached a sermon entitled, Lift Him Up. And we went back to Deuteronomy and talked about how Moses raised the serpent. We drew several parallels there between what happened there in Deuteronomy and how Christ has been lifted up for, for us. Since then, we've looked at, and you can put the next slide up there for me if you wouldn't mind, we've looked at these topics, lifting up the character of Christ. We've looked at lifting up the compassion of Christ. We've talked about lifting up the cross of Christ. And lastly, this would have been back in the end of April, we talked about lifting up the causes of Christ. This morning, I would like for us to consider lifting up the church of Christ. The church of Christ. There are three institutions that God has given authority to in the Bible. The first one is the home. That was back established in Genesis, right? The book of Genesis, you have Adam. He was to be the head of his wife. And then the husband and wife, Adam and Eve, they were to be the head of their children. They were to leave the home. And that was God's structure. That was God's order. By the way, I believe most of the problems in society today is because or are created because the home structure, the institution, the authority God has given the home has been undermined and has been broken has been broken. We've got to get back to a place where we do home, not our way and not culture's way. We do home the Bible way. The Bible way. So home was the first institution that God created and ordained. The second one we find in Scripture is government. Government. All throughout the Bible. In fact, the book of Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, God is creating a structured government to rule the Israelites. We see in the book of Romans chapter 13 where the Bible says every soul is to be subject unto the higher power. There is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God, Romans 13, 1 and 2 tell us, and we know that God has created government. You say, did Jesus Himself personally endorse government? He did. You may remember when they tempted Him and He uh, asking Him about paying taxes. Oh boy, one thing about heaven is that there will be no taxes. Amen? That's going to be a great day. No more getting a millage rate in the mail for a car or for a house. That'll be a great day. I won't pay millage rate on my mansion in heaven. It's going to be a wonderful thing. Uh, but uh, taxes, and they were teasing or rather tempting Jesus about taxes. And he, uh, he said to them, why tempt ye me? Bring me the tribute money. He said, render unto Caesar that which is Caesar and render unto God the things which are God's. And that is a quote even still used by lawyers in courtrooms today. Well, was Jesus saying? He was saying, we're going to respect the institution of government. Let me just quickly throw this in here is, be very careful about undermining your president. I don't care which one it is. I don't care which party is in power. Be very careful about undermining your president. It's one thing to disagree with the policies of a president. It's another thing to belittle and make fun of and put down a politician. My friend, God ordained that politician and has allowed that politician to be there, whether you like him or not. And whichever politician, whichever is the most corrupt politician that our, our, pres- our presidency has ever seen, I promise you he wasn't more corrupt than Caesar Augustus back in the Bible times. And Jesus revered and followed 
followed suit, followed the system we are to revere. Let me throw this in here as well, is be careful about undermining or making fun of our police officers. Listen, our police officers, are there dirty police officers out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. But it ought to be said when you see a police officer and you're with your child that you talk about them in a positive light, not a negative light. They have a tough job. They have a very tough job on their hands. They need us to support them. Uh, They need to support them both in our action and in our words. So we see here that God created the institution of the home. God created the institution of the government. The third institution that God created and last institution that God created is the one that you're sitting in today. That would be the church. The church. God created the church. This isn't a man-made idea. We don't get together on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday night because uh, Pastor Lejeune came up with it or because some old guy several centuries ago came up with it. No. We get together and we have church because God created Church, this is his idea. The passage here in Matthew 16 that you're in, this is the first time anywhere in the Bible that the word church is mentioned. Now, was it the first time Christ mentioned it to his disciples? We obviously wouldn't know that because we don't have every encounter Jesus had with his disciples recorded in the Bible. But is it possible that Jesus utters the word church to his disciples here and they looked at each other puzzled and they thought, church? What is church? What is church? And they would very quickly learn what church was. The church is Christ's institution. Amen? This is His creation. This is His idea. It was Christ who purchased and continues to purchase the church with His own blood. It is Christ who is espoused espoused to the church and will one day present us as His bride in heaven to His Heavenly Father. I cannot wait to see John Sanchez wearing a wedding dress. Amen? You you ready for that, John? White garment, amen? Maybe not a wedding dress. I'm just teasing you, John. It's going to be a great day. It's going to be a great day. This morning, rather, I propose that Christ gave us the church so that we could have an avenue of fellowship, an avenue of service, a place of healing, a place to be challenged, a place to worship, and a place to be discipled. Christ loves His church and wants you to make it the center hub of the wheel of your life. And this morning, we're going to jump in and look at four thoughts about this idea of elevating or lifting up the church of of Christ. Point number one of the message this morning, or thought number one, is this, the creation of the church. The creation of the church. Jumping right into uh, thought number one, let's look at letter A, it's beginning. It's beginning. Look look back with me at Matthew chapter 16, if you will, and verse number 13. Matthew 16, verse 13, the Bible says, When Jesus came to the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto him, unto them rather, but whom say ye are all of you that I am? Now, when he asked the disciples who others said that they, he was, boy, everybody had an answer. Everybody piped in. Someone spoke up, and maybe Thomas spoke up and said, well, I've heard people say you're John the Baptist. Obviously, John the Baptist had been martyred by Herod. And uh, someone else, maybe uh, Philip, piped in and he said, "Well, I've heard people say that you're uh, that you're uh, Jeremiah." And, and and maybe another disciple, Andrew, popped in and maybe said, "Well, I've heard others say you're Elias." And someone else piped in and said, "Well, other people say you're just one of the other prophets." Jesus looked at his disciples and said, "Who do you all think I am?" Cricket, cricket. Notice that there was only one disciple that had a response. And it was Peter. Now, was it that it got quiet and Peter responded? Or was it that Peter just, whammo, right off the bat, just shouted out what he thought? I think it's probably more likely the second one. Peter was one, you know, there are people in life who think first and then speak. And then there are people who in life who speak first and then think. How many fit in that second category? You speak first. And then you think, and you're like, oh, I wish I could take that back. I really wish I hadn't said that. Peter was the second. Peter had a disease. It's called foot and mouth 
disease. It may have been more like uh, um, uh, uh, thigh in mouth. He had his foot so far down his throat. He was just constantly just putting his foot in his mouth. In fact, in this same chapter, Jesus just pours high praise on him. Later in the chapter, Jesus would say, get thee behind me, Satan, in the exact same chapter. And so Peter would say the right thing and then turn around at times and say the wrong thing. And I think that's why many of us find Peter so relatable. We'll look down at verse 16. The Bible says, so Jesus says to them, whom say ye that I am? Look at verse 16. And Simon Peter answered and said, thou art the Christ, the Messiah, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjonas, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many have and many will argue when exactly the church began. Okay, Some people will say that Jesus was the first pastor and the church began with the disciples. Um, other people will say, no, the church began in the, uh, in, the, in the upper room with the 120 disciples in the book of Acts when they were in one accord and they prayed and fasted and, and God sent down the cloven tongues of fire. That was the first church pastor. And then other people will say, no, 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 the church began at Pentecost. And I would say to you, does it really matter? I don't think it really matters when the church began. I think the more important thing isn't when the church began, it's who began the church. And the person who began the church is Jesus Christ. He is the beginning. Let me show you something really neat here. You ever been reading your Bible and you uncover something and you're like, Wow! Man! That is awesome! I had one of those moments this week studying this passage. Now, the verse says there, Thou art Peter... And upon this rock I will build my church. Now, some denominations believe that Peter is the rock. Let me say that that is not the case. I would not want to be part of a denomination that was built on a sinful man. Can I say that one more time? I do not want to be associated with any religion that is built on top of a man. And so if Jesus was talking to Peter, which he wasn't, then the entire idea of a church is built on a sinner. That's not what this passage is teaching. Alright? The word Peter. Peter's name, Jesus would have not called Peter, Peter. That's the English version. Okay? The, the root word, or Peter's name as Jesus would have called it, is the word Petros. Petros. If you're taking notes, can I encourage you to write that down? Petros. And I'm going to share with you what Petros means. This is a golden nugget that you can dig up for yourself in the Bible. It's been there all along. And here's what the word Petros means. It means a thin soil layer with bedrock or larger rocks just underneath. A thin soil layer with bedrocks or larger rocks just underneath. You know what God was saying to Peter? Jesus was saying to Peter here? Thou art a thin layer of soil, and upon this rock, Jesus pointing to himself, I will build my church. Peter, who is the rock that's underneath you as a thin layer of soil? It's me, Peter. I am the rock. My friend, the church of Jesus Christ is not built on Peter, it's built on Jesus Christ. And I'm so thankful for that because the Bible says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. I'm so thankful that I get to be part of an institution that is resting on the foundation of the rock of God. He said, thou art a thin layer of soil and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, interestingly enough, Peter did play a crucial role in the beginning of the church. Peter would lead the apostles. He'd stand up at Pentecost and he would preach and the church would just explode in growth. But the, the, the beginning of the church, the founding of the church is Jesus Christ. Letter B, we see it's booming. Letter A, it's beginning. Letter B, it's booming. Can you do this with me? Can you turn over to Acts chapter number 1? 
We're going to look at several verses in Acts. So if you would, go over there with me, and we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study here. And we're going to look at the early church, all right? And by the way, they didn't have a church building. They were just a group of people that gathered wherever they could gather, and they worshipped the Lord together. And this was how the church just exploded in growth. Look at it, look, look with me there at verse number 15. And this is taking the premise that the, the church would have began there in that upper room. And again, I don't know if this is where it began or not, but for the, for the sake of the message, just uh, indulge me here and, and we'll go with that assumption. Verse 15, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said, notice here in parentheses, the, name, the number of names together were about in 120. Alright, so let's say the church did begin in the supper room, alright? And if you don't believe that, I'm not going to argue with you. You can believe something different and, and I'll still love you in Jesus and, and that's fine. But assuming that it did start here, the church would have began with a hundred and twenty members. Turn over to Acts chapter 2 and verse 41. Acts 2.41. Here, here Peter stands up. He preaches at Pentecost. He speaks in his native tongue. And God translates it into several different languages and several different people's ear. And every man hears in their own language. And man, people are getting saved by the groves. People are getting baptized. And at, at the end of the day, after it was all done, look at verse 41. Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day that were added unto them, that would be the church, about 3,000 souls. So the church was running 120, if you will, and then after one day, it went from 120 to 3,120. Now, there's a lot of things that could pull out of here to a whole other sermon that could preach talking about what happens when we fast, what happens when we pray, what happens when we're in unity, what happens when we're dedicated. Boy, an explosion of souls that are being saved and baptized. And that's a whole other sermon, and we'll jump into that another time. But let me say here that the church went from 120 to 3,120 in one day. Turn to Acts chapter 4 and verse 4. You think, man, 3,000 people. We run about 180 to 200 on Sunday mornings here, counting everybody on the property. Imagine if uh, in one Sunday we went from running 180 to 3,180. Where would we put the people? Right? And that was the problem they were facing, is they were having to find newer places to, they met it off, off Solomon's porch, and, and, and they, they literally met anywhere they could. Look at Acts 4 4. Howbeit many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. So 3,000 in Acts 2, 5,000 more in Acts 4. Now it's gone from 3,120 to 8,120. The church that Jesus Christ has established that rock with Peter and the other apostles is that thin layer of soil over the top has exploded in growth. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 2 and look at verse 47. Acts chapter 2 and verse 47. Again, how did the church grow? Verse 47 says, Praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church yearly? That's not what it says. Monthly? No, no, no. That's not what it says. Weekly? No. Daily. Added to the church daily. Such as should be saved. Now, they were, they were, had to have been gathering daily in order for them to, uh, uh, add members daily. What an amazing thing. But here the Lord is adding. And if you mark in your Bible, note that word added. He added to the church daily. Now, that's not the only mathematical term we find in regards to growth of Christ's church in the book of Acts. Turn over to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. We're going to find another mathematical term. So uh, it, w- it w- would have been more than 8,120 in Acts chapter 4 and verse 4 because back in Acts 2 there were adding every day. And in Acts, Acts 4 we get the 5,000 added at once. But the church did more than just add. Look at uh, Acts 6 verse 1. It says that in those days when the number of the disciples was, read that next word out loud together with me. Multiplied again, rather ready, and in those days when the uh, when the number of the disciples was multiplied, boy, that means the church wasn't just adding a few here or there; it wasn't just doubling. At the least, it was tripling in growth. Look down at verse seven, and the word of the Lord increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied, multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. Biblical historians, and by the way, Christ quit giving us numbers at some point. It went from this many added to this many added uh, to add it daily to multiplied. Biblical historians have, have speculated that the first church there in Jerusalem would have had in excess of a hundred thousand members. A hundred thousand members. Maybe 
the largest true church it's ever been. The church boomed in growth. Beyond that, God would call Paul to be the, the apostle to the Gentiles. And he would begin taking the truth outside of the Jewish world and into the Gentile world. And aren't you glad he did? We have two Jews that I know of in the church. Brother Pierre, you got some Jew in you, right? You, you can save, save, you know how to pinch pennies, right? You got some Jew in you? And then uh, there's Brother Levine. Listen, if it wasn't for God allowing the gospel to reach the rest of us, there would only be two people here today. Amen? So I'm so thankful for that, that, uh, that the gospel was taken. And, and, and what did they say about uh, the, the church in Antioch? It said that these Christians, they've turned the world upside down with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look, they didn't. They left no stone unturned. They took the gospel everywhere. And the church of, of, of God was just exploding. Boy, that must have been an exciting time to be uh, around and to be a Christian, to watch all these churches popping up and people being saved and, and discipled and growing. So we see letter A, it's beginning. Letter B, it's booming. Letter C, we see it's blessing. It's blessing. Make no mistake about it, my friends. Through the centuries... Satan has used many different tactics to try to eradicate the church. Satan hates what we're doing right now. He hates this. For every Sunday that rolls around, you know, Sunday is my favorite day of the week. Sunday is Satan's least favorite day of the week. He hates it. Because on Sunday, people walk aisles and they get saved. On Sunday, people get together and they corporately worship the Lord with song. On Sunday, people get together and the Word of God is preached and people are brought closer to the Lord. And Satan hates Sundays. Satan wants nothing more than to eradicate church. In fact, Satan has used all kinds of tactics to try to eradicate church. And I've written down three tactics that Satan uses. And I didn't put them uh, up on the screen. They're not going to be on the screen. But I encourage you, if you're taking notes, to write these down. The first tactic I jotted down here was persecution. Persecution. What did Satan do when this church was growing? Well, he thought, boy, this is a wildfire that's spreading, and I've got to stop it. And so I'm going to do everything I can to stop it. So the first thing he did was he brought in the, the church's first pastors there, the apostles, and he had them beaten. He had them beaten. And, uh, and, and that didn't work. In Acts 4, I believe it is, or Acts 6, they walk out and what do they, the Bible says they counted worthy that they could suffer in the name of Jesus Christ. They'd been beaten, they had stripes on their back, and woohoo! We get to, we get to be, uh, uh, tied in with Christ as we're suffering. And they went right back out from being beaten, right back to preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Satan thought, well, that didn't work. That didn't work. And so he stepped up his game. Turn to Acts chapter 8 and verse number 1. He thought, if I can't get the leaders, what I'll do is I'll go after the congregants. I'll go after the church as a whole. Boy, this thing was growing out of control on Satan. Over a 100,000 possibly attending every week. And, and this was spreading and growing. And Satan knew he had a problem on his hands. What was he going to do? Verse 1, And Saul was consenting unto his, uh, uh, this would be Stephen's death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church. Notice it was against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Now, this was a tactic that uh, backfired in Satan's face. He thought, well, I'll persecute the church and they'll quit, they'll quit going to church. You know what happens when um, Satan persecutes the church? People get more intense and fierce about their faith. That's the first thing. The second thing is, they're not going to say they're going to get persecuted. They're going to scatter. And when they scatter, they're going to take their intensity for Christ with them. Do you know how the gospel got around the globe? Through the persecution of Satan on the church of Jerusalem. Boy, Satan began to persecute that church and it was like turning a light on with a room full of cockroaches. They just ran everywhere. The persecution came and man, they left. They took the gospel everywhere. Now, the apostles stayed, but everyone else left. And they went and they took the, the sermons of the Word of God with them. Satan tried to eradicate but what happened was, it grew. It backfired. Today, um, as I stand here and preach, there are, and I say today, I mean the day being Sunday. I understand on the other side of the globe, it's by now it's Monday. But to, on Sundays, all around the globe, there are countries who 
have outlawed church. Outlawed it. They've come and they put chains on doors. How many of you here are aware of that, familiar with that? They shut down churches. But can I tell you that in every country where they have shut down church, they have not shut down church. They maybe have shut down a building, but there are people meeting in homes. There are people meeting in, in, in underground locations and they are worshiping the Lord. Because you can't squelch out His church. Another tactic Satan tries to use is apostasy. Apostasy. No, that's not a type of pasta. Amen. Apostasy. What is apostasy? Apostasy is false doctrine. False teachings. Today, there are a bunch of religious institutions that are meeting. Notice I didn't call them churches. There's a bunch of buildings that have church on a sign outside. And they're in there, and they're gathered, and they're going through religious rituals. But they're not having church. You see, church is a called out group of believers in Jesus Christ that meet. Now, in some instances, these religious institutions, in their roots, in their history, they were real churches. I think of several different denominations that you go back a hundred years and they preach the gospel of Jesus Christ by salvation, uh, by grace through faith. But I can't tell you how many people I've met out soul winning. They go to a Protestant church and you ask them, you going to heaven? Oh, yeah, I'm going to heaven. Well, how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, my mom and dad raised me in church. My friend, you, you can go to church your whole life. It doesn't make you a Christian any more than sleeping in a garage would make you a car. It just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Going to church doesn't make anybody a Christian. You say, well, I, I, I grew up in church and I was baptized as a baby and you know, I, I went through confirmation and, and my parents are good people and they taught me to have morals and I'm a good person. Surely that means I'm going to get into heaven, right? Lie, 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 lie. We call that apostasy. What does the Bible say? For by grace you're saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, not of works. Let me say that again. Not of works, lest any man should boast. If I can get to heaven being a good person, what in the world was he doing hanging up on a cross? He, he came to earth and died on a cross because I can't get in with my good works. You, you, you meet someone and they say, well, God's going to let me in on the merit of my good works. And I'd say this, if I get pulled over for speeding on my way home today, and I look at that officer and say, but I didn't speed at all last week, that would be a lie. But if I said, I didn't speed at all last week, and so that should erase the fact that I'm speeding today. You know what that officer's going to look at me and say? Sorry, buddy, it doesn't work that way. You were speeding now, you've got to pay the consequence. You get to heaven, you don't get to say to God, well, I was a good person and I did good works. God says, great! That doesn't erase your sin. Satan has slipped in the apostasy of good works. And he has sunk many religious institutions. One time they preached the gospel, but they don't now. And Satan is pulling down churches, denomination after denomination after denomination. Let me just quickly say this as well. I don't want to come across as arrogant while I'm preaching. There are many other denominations other than the Baptist that teach salvation by grace through faith. We're not the only one, alright? I'm not going to sit here and pretend like we've got a corner on it. I do believe that we follow the Bible the closest. That's why I am a Baptist. But there are other churches that don't have Baptists on the sign that preach the, the gospel the right way. But if you go to a church, if you are a part of a church that teaches it any other way, Satan has allowed apostasy to slip in and he's sinking, he's sinking what once was a church. Another tactic that Satan uses to hinder or limit uh, or squelch the, the, the church of Jesus Christ. And I wrote this one down as the love of comfort. The love of comfort. You know, many churches are filled with entertainment and comfort. When I was a, an assistant pastor in, um, in, at uh, Granite Baptist in Glen Burnie, one day the internet at the church went down and, 
And my work was internet-based. I was getting some things done for the church and I needed the internet. So I put my laptop in my bag and off to Starbucks I went. And I opened up my uh, laptop at, uh, at what I now call five bucks because you can't get under there for less than five bucks. But uh, I opened my laptop up in five bucks there and I'm sitting there and I'm working on whatever it was I was working on. And this group of men who called themselves pastors came and they sat down right behind me. You know that corner section with the couches they're sitting there and they've got their coffee and they've got their high-end shoes and, you know, they're, they're, they're dressed real, uh, real sleek-like, real modern-like. And they're talking and I, 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 they began to talk and I was kind of listening in on their conversation. I was eavesdropping. And, and, uh, and I was, uh, uh, kind of working. I was more like pretending to work and I was listening to them and I found out that they went to the, they were part of pastoral staff of the church around the corner from our church. There was a large, church around the corner from our church and they were very much a lay odyssey in church and and they began to talk and they had just come from the theater watching the movie Iron Man and they were talking about how they could take clips of the Iron Man movie and use that in the sermon coming up down the road. Now, if you were telling me that, I may not believe it, but I heard it with these ears right here on my head. Entertainment, the love of comfort. You say, well, well, Pastor, you you preach the Bible and you chuck your sermons full of Bible, so I'm safe. Well, you go to a church where the Bible is preached, but are you comfortable sitting there? You see, Satan, he's tried several tactics, and he's using all these tactics in different parts of the world. In some places, he's squelching it out through persecution. But can I tell you what he's doing here in the U.S. of A.? He's lulling us to sleep with comfort. Rocking us to sleep with comfort. Oh, you, you, you don't need to send your money to the mission field because you can use that money to buy a bigger screen TV. You don't have to drive that junk piece of car. You can drive a, you can drive a luxury car. The church doesn't need your money. You, you know you like that, those features in that car. Hey, why don't you upgrade your house? Why don't you upgrade your wardrobe? And he's rocking us to sleep. He's rocking us to sleep. And, the church of Christ is not advancing because we're comfortable in our pew. We're comfortable. We're comfortable. Now, let me just say this morning, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. I drive, my wife drives a Jeep Cherokee, 2015 Jeep Cherokee, and uh, I drive a 97 Honda Accord, lo- uh, uh, lovingly dubbed the green machine. Amen? The green machine. And uh, But the truth is, my car is more comfortable than most of the transportation around the world. I've seen in Asia, uh, parts of Asia, poorer parts of Asia, where they cram people onto a train. Uh, they're packed in there like sardines and, and to get them around town. I've been in a third world country where I was in a moto taxi or I was in some form of a bus, maybe more like a jeepney, and you're, you're squished in there and you got people all up on you and in your business. And listen, we, tra- we travel in comfort. We have more cars than I think maybe any country in the world. Why? Because we love our comfort. And my friend, there's nothing wrong with being comfortable. But if you're not careful, being comfortable leads to being calloused. Being calloused leads to being cold. And then we cease to do our part in advancing the church. One thing is for certain is that God has blessed His church. God will continue to bless His church. And while Satan attempts to eradicate the church, to destroy the church... He's not going to succeed. The church will be around until Christ raptures it out. Number one, we see the creation of the church. Number two, quickly, we see the core of the church. I spent most of the sermon on point one. We're going to move quickly through the other points here. Number two, we see the core of the church. There was a video that went viral on YouTube a few years back. And it was some guy up, uh, uh, and he was talking in a rhythmic form, and the idea was, what you need is not a religion, you need a relationship. How many of you remember that video? Anybody? Boy, it was, it was the big deal. And, uh, you don't need religion, you need a relationship with Jesus Christ. And boy, he waxed eloquent. And I gotta say that I have said similar things here from the pulpit that, Listen, I'm more about a relationship than a religion. I'm more about you having a relationship with Jesus Christ than you are a religion. I've shared this here before, but the word religion is found four times in the Bible. Three of the four times is mentioned in a negative way. Okay, God isn't for you being part of some religion. All right, He's for you having a relationship. But the purpose of that video was not to make that point. 
The purpose of the video was to say, you don't need church. And to that I'm here to say, he is dead wrong. You do need church. Christ created the church. You need to be part of it. It needs to be the center hub of the will of your life. Some people say, but pastor, I can have church in my living room. I say, no, you can't. But pastor, I can have church in my bass boat out on the lake. I say, no, you can't. But pastor, I can have church in my tree stand hunting Bambi or hunting Bambi's mother. And that I say, no, you can't. No, you can't. But pastor, I can have church on the beach. I can have church in a hotel room while I'm on vacation. No, you can't. Now, you can worship God in all those environments. And you ought to with a 12-gauge shotgun, with a 12-gauge gun in your hand while you're hunting. Amen? You can hunt a bow in your hand. You can, you can worship God, and I pray that you do in those situations. But you can't have church. You see, God has stipulated some things when it comes to church. Church, uh, in order for a place to be a church, it has to have a pastor and deacons. It can't be a church without a pastor and deacons. Now, I understand there are some startup churches that have not grown to a place that have been qualified to be deacons. And, and, and I think God makes an exception to that as long as they do get those deacons in place as soon as they can. But you can't have a church without a pastor and deacons. And you can't have a church without the Lord's Supper and baptism. You can't. Those are the ordinances of the church. And so, I would ask you, sir, in your, uh, in your tree stand or out on the beach or in your bass boat, do you have a pastor? Do you have deacons? Do you, do you observe the Lord's Supper? Other than falling out of your bass boat, do you have times of baptism? <laughs> then you can't say it's a church. But pastor, I don't need organized religion. Are you, are you smarter than God? I don't mean to get snarky with you this morning, but... This book says you need church. And I think God's a whole lot smarter than you. And He says you need it, so you need it. Unless you are directly and faithfully connected to a group of people that teach and believe sound Bible doctrine and has a pastor and deacon and observes the ordinances, then you are not in a church as defined by the author of church. And so we see the core of the church. Let me give you quickly an A and a B. Letter A, it's pastor. It's pastor. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 uh, says there, it says, and actually turn over to Ephesians. I think the rest of the sermon will be in the book of Ephesians today. So turn over to Ephesians 4 with me. Now, some of these positions in the book of Ephesians, uh, it is my strong opinion that they're no longer around. Uh, uh, some of three of these five, I believe, are still part of our church or part of the church age, but two of them no longer have a need because the canon of Scripture has been completed. And that's my strong opinion. Ephesians 4:11 and 12 says, "And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers." I believe we still have evangelists, pastors, and teachers part of the church age today. Uh, but the the leader of the church is to be a pastor. He's to be the under-shepherd that leads the church as God leads him. Why? Look at verse 12. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Why is there leadership and structure in a church? So that saints can be brought about and made mature or perfected. So that they can do the work of the ministry. I lead the pastoral staff here at our church with this quote all the time. I tell them this all the time. We are a pastor of people. We're not a pastor of papers. We're not a pastor of programs. We're a pastor. We're pastors of people. There are times where we push the paper and the programs and the procedures aside because people need our attention. There's one phrase I really want to get away from here at this church is, Pastor, I know you're busy. Look at me. Everybody look up here at me. I'm never too busy for you. If I'm ever too busy for you, it's because I'm helping another person with a problem. 
you all are the reason why I pastor. It's not about paperwork. Oh, I'm for administration, and we have administration. We have systems in place to make sure the church is organized. Paperwork's necessary. It's not about programs. We've got a lot of those around here, and there's a lot of work that goes into organizing those. It's not about a set of procedures. It's about the pastor taking a towel and figuratively washing the feet of the people, ministering to them. Notice the next thing it says in verse 12 is for the edifying of the saints. The edifying of the body of Christ. We all know what an edifice is. It's a building, and that's the idea of building up. So a church has a pastor so that he can uh, help the saints mature. A church has a pastor and leaders so that it can help uh, the, the uh, uh, do the work of ministering or serving the people. A church has a pastor so he can edify or build up the people of the church. Letter B, notice it's people. Look down at verse 16. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by uh, the which every joint supplieth according to the effectual working in the measure of every part, uh, uh, maketh, uh, uh, maketh increase of the body into the edifying of itself in love. So there is a body there and, and it's people. The church is people. Let me just quickly say this morning that this church is not the property of 5344 Main Street Putney. Not the property. This church, why don't Baptist church is not a sign out front, it's not pews, it's not carpet, it's not Lord's Supper table, it's not pulpits, it's not platforms, it's people. People. There's going to be a day, and will it be in 10 years, 6 years, 5 years, 50 years, 100 years, I don't know. But if history repeats itself, there's going to be a day where a government official puts chains on the doors of this church. It's going to happen. It's going to be illegal for us to congregate here. They'll take away our tax exempt status. They'll shut us. They'll find some way of shutting us down. What's going to happen? Can I tell you what's going to happen if I'm still the pastor? I'm going to go get a job, just like the rest of you. And on Sunday, I'm going to find a tree stump in the middle of the field, and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to hold open my Bible, and I'm going to invite all of you to come. Listen to me preach, and we're going to sing, and we're going to pray together. You know why? They can take this building away. They can't take a church away. They can't take a church away. The core of the church, it's you, it's me, it's us. It's us. We're a body. We're fitly put together. Number one, we see the creation of the church. Number two, we see the core of the church. Quickly, number three, let's let's look at the care of the church, the care of the church. Let me say this morning, I, I love church. I love it. I love it. I eat, drink, breathe, sleep, church. Church. Love it. Love it. Oh, it is so important to me. Unfortunately, church is a place at times where people get hurt. It's a place where people get hurt. Can I tell you something? I've been hurt at church more than once in my life. I've been lied about by the pastor. I've been accused by the pastor of things I didn't do. I've even been expelled from a church before when I had done nothing wrong over politics. I've been hurt. I've had youth pastors walk out of my life. I went into great detail with this in a sermon I preach. You can find online on our website, What to Do When Leadership Let's You Down. If you're here today and you've been hurt by church and you're still licking your wounds and you haven't gotten past it, let me encourage you to go listen to that sermon. Can I say this to you this morning? Everybody look up here at me for a minute. If you've been hurt by church, get over it. You say, Pastor, that wasn't very nice. I've been hurt. Probably as bad as you have. But there's way more good that church has done in my life than bad. Quit licking your wounds and get over it. Pick yourself up and let church be a blessing to you. I promise you, if you're part of church long enough, you're going to get hurt. Be honest this morning. How many of you, even on a small level, have been hurt by church at some point in your life? Would you raise your hand? 
It's time to move on. It's time to move on. Church is a place that's meant to care for you. But it can't if you're going to keep everyone out here. I'm not going to be involved. I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. Stay away. I don't want to get hurt. You keep stiff-arming everybody. The church can't help you. It can't help you. I'm thankful that the churches I have been a part of, most of the time, most of the time, have cared for my soul and my spiritual well-being. Thankful for that. Sometimes people ask me, they say, do you like the area? Angela and I, we've moved seven times in ten years. And uh, we've lived in four or five different cities in our time. And every time we move, we get asked the same question by the, by the people in the church or the locals in the area. Do you like the area? And uh, you know what, what, I, what I have come to find is if, if I have loved the church that I've been a part of, then I have loved the area. You know why? Because church is at the center of who we are. It's at the center of who we are. You say, do you like, do you like New England? Do you like this area? Yes. You know why? Because I like you all. You're really easy to love. This is a very warm and friendly place. Keep that up. And keep that moving. I love this area. Why? Because I love this church. And, and, and church is such a wonderful place that cares for me. Let me uh, give you a quickly A, B, C, D, E, and we'll move through these quickly. Letter A, notice a place for sinners. Church is meant to be a place for sinners. In 2009, I was hired at Granite Baptist Church in Glen Burnie to be their Spanish pastor and their children's pastor. In my time as a Spanish pastor, we had uh, a couple that began to come. Uh, the, the wife's name is Wanda. The reason why I remember the wife more than the husband is because the husband hardly ever talked. I mean, it was like dragging, you know, dragging. You had to drag him behind wild horses to even get him to, uh, you know, he just, he didn't talk much. And she was, man, she was the matriarch. She was the talker. And, and uh, Wanda... I ended up marrying Wanda and her husband. That was the first couple I ever married, and I married them in Spanish. You say, Pastor, have you ever performed a wedding? I have. That's the only one. But if I can marry someone in a language that isn't even mine, I think I can handle an English wedding. Amen? And I look forward to doing my, my first wedding here at the church. And, and you couples that are dating, hurry up. Amen? Let me uh, get to my office and tell me you're going to get married. I want to marry, marry, marry somebody around here. Uh, but um, Wanda and her her husband for a while, at the time, her boyfriend for a while, they quit coming. And uh, I went looking for Wanda. Wanda lived across the street in the apartments, uh, uh, the apartments, apartment complex across the street from the church there. And so I went over to the apartment complex, and Angela and I did. We went looking for Wanda and, and, and her boyfriend. And um, Wanda did a good job of avoiding me. You know how it is when you haven't been in church in a while? You see the pastor in Walmart, and you're like, ooh, I'm going going over here. I'm going to duck in this section where no one, where he's most likely not to find me. And you're, you're down some weird aisle and the pastor happens to walk down. Oh, there he is. I, I can't get away. Well, that Wanda was kind of pulling one of those. And, and I made it my goal to find Wanda. And sure enough, one day Angela and I were over in the uh, uh, parking lot and, and she came walking out to her car. I said, Wanda! <laughs> Hi, Pastor. I said, Wanda, where have you been? Well, to be totally honest, I missed Wanda, but I didn't totally miss Wanda. Wanda was from a Pentecostal background. And if you know anything about Hispanic Pentecostals, oh my goodness. Wow. As someone who pastored a Hispanic church with many Pentecostals that came through. Listen, Spanish was my second language, and I was... um, I was opening the service in Spanish, and I was closing the service in Spanish when I first got there. And I will say broken Spanish at that. I was preaching in English, and Juan Lopez translated for me. And uh, and so I was still learning Spanish. So I would open the service in prayer, and I would close the service in prayer. And every time i do that, Wanda would stand up in the back, and she'd throw her hands up in the air like this, and she'd pray as loud as she could in Spanish. Boy, that's hard to do. Hard to pray over that. Hard to stay focused. So... To say I totally miss Wanda would be a stretch, but I loved Wanda, and, and I wanted Wanda back in church, even though she getting in my way while I was trying to pray. Um, I said to Wanda, I said, "Where have you been?" And I, we kind of went back and we kind of went in circles for a bit. Finally, Wanda said to me, "She said, Pastor, we quit coming to your church because the last time we were there, 
these men came in and sat in the pew behind us. And they had alcohol on their breath. And pastor, if you're going to let los borrachos, for those English-speaking people, those drunks in your church, we don't want to go to your church. And I looked at Wanda and I said, Wanda, if you want to go to a church where there are no sinners, then you need to find another church. What is church supposed to be? It's supposed to be a place for sinners. Don't ever look at someone who walks in the door and doesn't look like you, smell like you, talk like you. Don't ever look at them and go, oh, who let them in? You may not say it, but sometimes your attitude says it for you. This is supposed to be a place for sinners. I'm curious this morning. How many of you got saved in a church service? Would you raise your hand? My hand's up. I was saved in a church service. How many of you were saved in a church? Hold them up for a minute. Hold them high. I want to see. I'd say that's probably about 15% of the crowd, 20% of the crowd. Aren't you glad that they let sinners in? Aren't you glad? Last time I checked out front of our church, it doesn't say perfect people Baptist church. If it did, this auditorium would be empty. This is supposed to be a place where sinners are welcomed and cared for. Letter B, we see a place for saints. A place for saints. Romans chapter 1 verse 7 opens this way, or the book of Romans opens this way in verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, the Apostle Paul would open almost every letter he wrote with the word saints in the introduction. Why? Because church is to be a place for saints. The word saints means holy, pure, divine, holy, dedicated. Some people hear the word saints, the only thing they think of is the New Orleans football team. There's a whole lot more to it than that, amen? Holy, pure, divine, holy, dedicated. Holy, dedicated. A family was sitting around the lunch table after church on a Sunday morning, and the mom looked at the little boy, you know how it is, you're sitting around the table, and, and uh, you're, you're talking about the message, and you're talking about Sunday school, and the mom looks at the little boy and says, what did you learn in Sunday school today? Typical table question on a Sunday, right? And the little boy looks up at his mom, and well, actually he's just forking the food in his mouth and says, nothing. The mom said, what? What do you mean you didn't learn anything? He said, oh, she told the, they told the story of Noah in the ark, I already heard it before. In fact, I haven't heard anything I hadn't known in a long time. I know all the stories in the Bible. He's just breaking the food in his mouth. And the mom's all yeah, dignified and just, what? You don't know all the stories in the Bible? Do you know the story of, and pulls out some obscure story from the Bible. The little boy goes, uh, I don't know, maybe. And the dad sits back, pushes his chair back from the table, and he thinks for a minute. He looks at his son, he said, son, I owe you an apology. I've been asking you the wrong question. It is shouldn't be, what did you learn at church today? It should be, how were you challenged at church today? How were you challenged at church today? You know, I am convinced the number one reason why people quit coming to church is just because they get bored with it. Same songs. You know, I've only been your pastor a year. I've got a lot more fresh sermons and things that... I think I'll preach, and I work hard to be fresh. There will come a day, maybe a decade, maybe two decades, there will come a day where you go, ah, pastor, we've heard that story before. You're going to keep coming to church? You're going to keep coming? You see, you don't come because you're trying to learn something new. You come because this place is trying to perfect you. It's trying to mature you. And the truth is, we never arrive. It's a place for saints. Letter C, talking about the care of the church. Notice, it's a place of song. You're in Ephesians. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Boy, I'm passionate about this one. There's one ministry at our church that I believe has greatly improved in the last 12 months. It is. Uh, many ministries have, but I believe it's our music ministry. But i got to tell you, it's got a long ways to go. It's got a long ways to go. I, I have big dreams and visions of what the music ministry at our church will be. Same style. Same style, just better. Just better. And I think every ministry needs to work to improve. Look at verse 18. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, before I read on any further, let me stop and remind everybody, this that we're reading was written to a church. 
This was written to a church. So keep that in mind as we read verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You know, it, I wish all of you could stand up here where I stand and watch you while you sing. <laughs> we sing the song, Oh happy day that fixed my choice on Thee my Savior and my God. And I look out and I see this. Oh happy day that fixed my choice. I'm like, hey, we got coffee out in the lobby, you know. Are you happy? Are you happy He saved you? Earlier we sang, Saved! 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 Are you glad you're saved? Boy, the, the song, the saying after that, Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing power? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Does that minister to your heart? Look, I see people stand there and they do this while the song service is going on. You know, you've been commanded by God to sing. Commanded. You say, but pastor, I can't sing. I've got an average voice at best. You know what? Even if I had a bad voice, I'm still commanded to sing. What's, uh, what's uh, Psalm 100 tell us? Make a joyful for some of you, that's all it is, isn't it? You're still commanded to do it. Sing out. Sing out. Listen, if the people around you come to church start wearing earplugs, you know you need to pipe it down a little bit. But until then, let her fly. So be a place of song. Letter D, it's a, be a place of sermons. A place of sermons. Do you know how many times the word preach is found in the Bible? I just found this out this week. I used to think it was like a dozen 138 times. 138 times. Preaching is important. We come to church here, the Word of God preached. Letter E, a place of service. A place of service. And I harped on this one in the early service. We're really out of time right now. We're pushing late, so I'm going to move on. But a place of service. This is to be the hub, the center of the wheel of where you serve God. It's to be done through the local church. Uh, uh, several months ago, we had to, uh, to cut several missionaries because of a budget. One of, the, uh, one of the missionaries that we cut, we cut because they were not attached to a local independent church. They were doing it out of their own. And i got to say, the church is to be the hub and center of everything. There may be a day where we start a Christian school here at our church. I would love to start a Christian school. The, the school will be a ministry of the church. I've seen Christian schools where the church is a ministry of the school. And it's backwards. And it is to be the church. It is to be the church. Number four, we see the cleansing of the church. The cleansing of the church. Letter A, the washing. You're in Ephesians. Or turn over to chapter 5. And look with me at verse number 25. Or, yes, Ephesians 5, 25. Now this is a passage we look at when it comes to how a husband and wife are to handle themselves. But Christ uses the parallel of Himself and the church here in this passage. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave Himself for it. Why did Christ give Himself for the church? Look at verse 26. That He might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the Word. You need to make sure that you're always part of a church that has the water of the Word being poured all over you. Why? Because the church is supposed to be cleansed by the water of the Word. One day, God is going to present you, or rather, Christ is going to present you to God at a, at a, at a wedding. Actually, let's just go ahead and put letter B up there, the wedding. He's going to present you at a wedding. He wants you to be purified. He wants you to be clean. You know why we gather here Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night? You know why we do that? So that the water of the Word can be poured on us. And our sins can be washed away. You know what this is? This is a spiritual bath. It's a spiritual bath. I think uh, this next Wednesday we're going to be looking at the book of Esther. And I think about Esther. Uh, she was going to be given to King Ahasuerus and, and, and made the queen of the country. And they literally bathed her in perfume for well over a month before they ever presented her to the king. 
Now, a, a Persian king, a Persian king, God wants you to be bathed before you're presented him. How do you do that? The water, the word that runs all over you. Runs all over you. Where does that happen? It happens at church. It happens at church. Look at me at verse number 27 there of Ephesians 5. It says that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that it should be holy and without blemish. I, I hope those words, holy and without blemish, make your heart burn the way it makes my heart burn. I want that in my life. And I can't wait for the day where I am presented to the Heavenly Father as the bride of Christ. Let me say that in heaven there will be no more marriages as we know them. There will be a corporate marriage of Christ and His church, His bride. Finish up the sermon today by saying this. If we lift up Christ so that the poor and the lame and the blind and the hurt can find the healing balm of salvation, if we're to do that, we must do this through the institution that He has chosen to use. We must do this through His church. Practically, how can you lift up church? Let me give you one, two, three, four in a row. I'm not going to make any comments. Just write these down. Make it a priority. Make it a priority. Make it a priority. Church has got to be a priority in your life. The second one, invite everyone you know. Invite everyone you know. The third one, participate. Get involved. Be here. Participate. The last one is be faithful. Be faithful. Some of you, you're good at coming to church for short spans, then you drop off. And about the time everybody gets worried, you show back up again. The Bible says a faithful man who can find. Folks, I love this place. I believe in this place. This is His church. Let's lift it up. Let's lift it up in our hearts. Let's lift it up to the community. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed.